Alrighty, well, let's go ahead and get started. If you have not uh, picked up your copy of the John's Gospel Study Guide, make sure you have it. This is what we're really basing ourselves off of um, as we go through this wonderful book of the Bible, John's Gospel. And I'm going to ask you to open up your Bible to John chapter 1. And that's where we're going to be today. John 1, 35 through 51. And the title of today's message is Jesus' First Disciples. These were the first men that Jesus called in his ministry. And uh, we're going to see the names of these men, who they were. And as you find your place there in John 1, 35 through 51, I'm going to ask you a couple questions here. First question is this. How did you come to know Jesus? Okay, what is your testimony? You see, none of us are born Christians. The Bible tells us you have to be born again to become a Christian. So my question to you is this. How did you come to know the Lord? What is your testimony? That's the word that we like to use in Christianity, your testimony. And well, as you find your place there, let me share you a little bit of my testimony. I grew up going to Sunday school uh, in a Baptist church up in North Carolina. And from the ages of probably about seven to nine, I would go hear the stories. I would learn about you know who Noah was, Moses, all these Bible stories. And uh, I even got baptized at age nine because they told me that was a thing to do. As a kid, if you, if you say you want to be Jesus' friend, you should get baptized. And it wasn't their fault that they didn't preach the gospel. It was my fault because I didn't choose to believe in Jesus that way. From ages 9 to 18, I was living in sin. I did not know the Lord. I would have said that I was a Christian because I knew the Bible stories. But I was not a Christian because, I, again, I didn't surrender to Christ. And at age 18, between 17 and 18, I lived probably the worst years of my life. Um, depression was very real. Um, don't raise your hand, but how many of you have gone through that or are currently going through depression? Uh, it was very real. And um, it was a time where I was just following my flesh, just going into sin and pursuing whatever felt right in that moment. Um, I made a mess of my life. And I had decided the only outcome, the only way to stop the suffering was to not be here. Um, and at age 18, I decided I was going to find a way to kill myself. I was going to commit suicide. Um, amongst all these things, I'm not very uh, big about, you know, I see demons or this kind of thing, but that was a very dark time where I remember I used to hear, you know, kill yourself, kill yourself, no one's going to miss you, kill yourself. Whether that was a demon, my own mind, I don't know, but all I know is this, I did not want to be here. And that's when I made a phone call to the church that um, I had visited several times, my mother church, West Brownsville. And uh, my pastor, he was in Argentina around that time. He was not in the States. So there was no one to come talk to me. And uh, providentially, God sent uh, Carlos Recio, Roberto Carlos Recio, who he's more of a handyman. He kind of fixes whatever needs to be fixed at church. He's not a preacher. He's not, he didn't go to seminary. He's not a Bible teacher. But he came to my house. And at age 18, he told me, this is who Jesus is. This is who you are. The reason your life is a mess is because you keep trying to fix it. It's not your job to fix it. That's the job of your maker. And you need to surrender to him. And then he left. He didn't do raise the hand. He didn't do the pray the prayer. He said, give your life to Christ. And then he left. And I did. I went to my room, locked the door as I remembered the Bible says to pray in private. Got on the floor, started crying. God, if you're real, do something with my life. You know what? You are real, kind of processing all this because you sent this man who's not a preacher to come talk to me. And after that point, not that my life got better, but my life had a purpose, which was to glorify my God. That's my purpose. And that's my testimony. It didn't take a preacher for me to believe in Jesus. It took a man who was not a preacher. 
And as we look at this today in uh, John 1, 35 through 51, we're going to see the story of the first disciples. We're going to see their testimonies. So let's take a look at this in John 1, 35 through 39. And we're looking at uh, John's gospel here. And this is what we call come and see. So uh, let me read it. You can just follow along there in your version of the Bible. It says this, The next day, John was standing with two of his disciples. Pause there. Who is the John that we're talking about? John the Baptist, the man we talked about last week. Pop quiz. How was John related to Jesus? He was his cousin, distant relative. And we talked about John, that Jesus said he was the greatest man that's ever lived. So we see this, John. His ministry was to prepare people for Jesus. And we see this in 35. The next day, John was standing with two of his disciples. When he, w when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, read it with me, Look, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and noticed them following him, he asked them, what are you looking for? What a good question to be asking of, of you. Why are you here? What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come and you'll see, he replied. So they went and saw where he was staying. And they stayed with him that day. It was about four in the afternoon. So, you know, as we're doing this, we're going verse by verse. We're taking apart the Bible so we can understand it. And again, recapping from last week, John the Baptist, this man who came to the nation of Israel to baptize people, prepare their hearts for Jesus, he says, look, that's the Lamb of God. And we talked about what the Lamb of God is, the sacrifice that God would make. So I want us to look at something. I want us to notice the humility of John the Baptist. Remember last week, they asked him, are you the Messiah? Are you the Savior? Are you the King of Israel? He said very clearly, no, I am not. I'm here as a servant. And what a great attitude that we should take in a world, especially in Christianity, where everybody wants to be a leader. Everybody wants to be the face of some ministry. John's humility was evident. He said, I'm just a servant, and I'm not worthy to untie the shoes of Jesus. Look with me here uh, at Isaiah 40, and we saw this last week. This was the heart of John and the prophecy regarding him. He says, I'm a voice of one crying out, Prepare the way of the Lord in the wilderness. Make a straight highway for our God in the desert. That was John's ministry. To just be a man out in the desert calling people to repentance, a voice in the wilderness. And remember we talked about the way John looked, his appearance? Was he a clean-cut guy or was he kind of a scruffy-looking kind of guy? A little scruffy. Probably a word you don't use that often. Say it with me. Scruffy. That was John the Baptist. It says he looked a little rough around the edges. He was that guy living out in the woods, eating bugs for dinner. That's what God had called him to do. And we laugh at that. We think it's a little silly. But we have missionaries that are around the world doing exactly that. Living in the Amazon rainforest, eating bugs for dinner, crying out in the wilderness, calling people to repentance. John is an example of humility. And the Bible tells us there that John had two disciples. We go to, uh, to verse 37. Go with me there. It says, uh, The two disciples heard him say, This is the Lamb of God, and they followed Jesus. Who were these two disciples? Well, they were Andrew and John. They were the first two disciples, and they had been very close to John. They were listening to his preaching. 
But what do they do? They begin following Jesus. You see, let me tell you about the state of churches sometimes in Brownsville. Just so you know, this is not attacking churches. This is just the, the way it is. There's over 140 churches in Brownsville right now on Sunday having services. Some of them closed in COVID. And because of COVID, there was this little exodus where a lot of people were leaving unhealthy churches to go see what's out there. I've always been stuck in my unhealthy church. Is this the way it's always going to be? Let me go see what's out there. And people have visited one another, church hopping, and said, I want some good Bible teaching. I'm tired of just feel-good preaching. That doesn't help anybody. It doesn't make me feel good at all. I like the way that Jesus put it when we were having our time of worship. He asked a rhetorical question. He said, how are you feeling this morning, church? And he didn't mean it for you to say, I feel great, because here's the honest truth. A lot of us don't feel great today. A lot of us barely made it to church today. Amen? And doesn't that happen a lot? Sometimes we just kind of crawl our way to church. It's not about how we feel. A lot of people in Brownsville are getting tired of that. That's why one of the reasons we are here. We're preaching the gospel, God's honest truth, not about feelings. And what happens here? He sends them to go follow Jesus. You know what an insecure pastor would have done? No, 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 no. Don't go to to him. Stay with me. Tú eres mi oveja. You're my sheep. You don't get to go other, other places. That's an insecure person. John knew his place. He said, they're not my sheep, they're his sheep. Go out there and follow Jesus. Now, we see the disciples. And the Greek word for, the, uh, for disciple is methetes, which means student. Okay? You and I are disciples of Jesus. If we belong to him, we're disciples. We're students of Jesus. And let me tell you what dis- discipleship even is. Discipleship is teaching other people about what Jesus said, okay? Remember the Great Commission? Go into the world, make disciples of all nations, reminding them of what I've said and baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. So you, my friend, need to be discipled. Check yourself. Who is currently discipling you actively? Who is meeting with you outside of Sunday service? Who is reading the Bible with you, giving you a next steps class, answering your questions? If you're not being discipled, you're going to get stifled in your growth. You need to be discipled constantly. And then you need to go disciple other people. And we need to talk about what Jesus said, not what the culture says. Okay? Often we do this. We bring what's out there into the church. And we preach it as truth. I had someone tell me when we were preaching about fruitful men, fruitful women. Do you remember that sermon uh, series that we had? About gender roles. What does a man do? What does a woman do? And I had someone say, well, it's because I grew up thinking different. My dad told me that men are supposed to keep women at a distance, not fully trust them, even if it's their wives. And I said, you know what? Your father grew up thinking not biblically. What does the Bible say? Discipleship is teaching others how to study the scriptures. Okay? It's not just come to church. It's let me show you how to study your own Bible. Now, do me a favor. Uh, Hold up your copy of the Bible right now. Hold it up nice and high. If it's on your phone, it's okay. Don't be ashamed. If you read it, you read it. If you don't, you don't. Okay. This book that you have is a library, and you need to know how to read it. It's not just, this works sometimes, but it's not just, eeny, meeny, miny, mo. here it is. Jesus, what do you got to say to me? Uh, yeah, that's not for me. Let's try it again. Eeny, meeny, okay, Jesus. Oh, there it is. That's not how it works. And often we do that, and sometimes it works. Sometimes you get a word that you thought was for you. Sometimes you get something like David and Goliath. Oh, I must be David then. 
That's not how it works. Discipleship is teaching others how to study the scriptures, not just telling them what to read, but how to read it. This is the point of this, of a study guide. We want to guide you in how to study the word. Number three, discipleship is teaching others how to obey Jesus' commands. I encourage you, first of all, take some notes, because you're going to be discipling other people. You need to know what you're going to be doing. So teaching others how to obey the commands of Jesus. A life that is not surrendered in obedience to Jesus does not belong to Jesus. Okay? You could say the right things, echo the right prayer, sing the right songs. But if you're not constantly obeying Jesus in what he has commanded us, you might not belong to him. Right? He doesn't have ownership of you. Some people say, he's my savior, but he's not my Lord. I don't do what he says, but I like him. He's a nice guy. It's about teaching how to obey those commands. And not just teaching. If you're actively discipling someone else, you have to live what you're teaching. Amen? Are you tired of hypocrite preachers? Let me tell you, I'm the first one that's tired of hypocrite teachers. And I pray, this is a prayer of every preacher. God, help me not to be a hypocrite. As I'm saying things, help me to not be doing the things I'm saying you're not supposed to do. Part of discipleship is this, teaching others how to share their testimony. And let me give you a big distinction. A biography and a testimony. This is not my idea. I heard this from another pastor, but it was a very good idea, so I took it. A testimony is talking about how God is the one who changed everything. He's the hero. A biography is how I changed everything, and I'm the hero. You see the difference? We're called to have a testimony, not a biography. If your testimony starts with, you know, I went to college, I passed all my classes, and then I got a good job and a good wife and good kids, and I'm such a happy guy, that's a biography. That's you talking about how great you are. A testimony is, God helped me get into college because I wasn't supposed to be there. God helped me pass because I never studied. God gave me an amazing wife because, look at me, um, everything I have is God. That's a testimony right there. And each of you have one. You have a story. Some of you have very dark stories. Some of your stories include death, destruction, abuse by family members. Some of your stories include betrayal by those you thought were the ones that were going to help you. You have a testimony, and you need to share it. You need to tell people how God saved you. And what is the last thing about discipleship here? Teaching others how to go and tell other people what? The good news, the full gospel. I also... Uh, astounded yesterday hearing this pastor from Spain coming and telling us you know what it's like to share the gospel in Spain and as I'm listening to him I'm like that's exactly how we're doing it but we live in a weird world where the way he shares the gospel is seen as extreme because he's in Spain let me see if I can make myself understood a little better as he's preaching he's telling us you need to tell people bad news and good news there's heaven and hell sinners and saints and God wants to save you from hell and make you a saint and as I was hearing this yesterday I look around again not knocking anybody but I saw some people uncomfortable they didn't like hearing what they were hearing they said yeah that needs to be heard in Spain because people are hard over there not here in America everybody's open to Jesus everybody's open to a false Jesus here we need to teach people how to go and share the full gospel now 
Something that we see here uh, in the text again, let's go back to John 1, 35 to 39. It says in 35 that John was standing with two of his disciples. They had spent a good amount of time with John. They knew who he was. They knew what he did. And what happens next there in 38 and 37, it says they followed Jesus. He turned around. He noticed that they were following him. They ask, he asked them, what are you looking for? They asked him, where are you staying? 39, come and you'll see where I'm staying. They went out and saw where he was staying and stayed with him all that day. How were the first disciples made? Jesus invited a guy to dinner. Okay? Because we live in a world, again, of numbers. How many people did you evangelize? 300, great. Not enough, but, you know, that's, we live in a world of numbers. We forget that Christianity is relational. And, and some people make fun of that. But it shouldn't be. Jesus reached his first disciples by inviting them to have dinner. He invited them at around 4 p.m. You would eat dinner at 5 and then go to sleep around 6, 7 so you could wake up early to plow your field and do what you have to do. Christianity is relational. Read with me this, uh, 1 John 4, 19 through 20. And again, this is the same author of John. Now he writes his letter of 1 John. You can see it up here on the screen. Write it down in your notes. 1 John 4, 19 through 20. Read it with me with a nice and loud voice. It says this, We love because He first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and yet hates his brother or sister, he is a liar. liar. For the person who does not love his brother or sister, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. Pause there. Have, Have you expressed love for people, but not really shown it? John, the same author, he's telling us, you can't love someone that you've seen and then not love someone you've seen and then say you love God whom you've never seen. Look at what he says there, 21. And we have this command from him, the one who loves God must also love his brother and sister. Christianity is relational. Jesus' ministry began as a family ministry. Who did we say John was in relation to Jesus? His cousin. Who started the ministry? John the Baptist, his cousin. Who did he hand off his disciples to? His cousin Jesus. This was a family ministry. I would love to see some of you serving with your families. And I see some of this. Let me tell you this. Logos has started as a family ministry. Raise your hand if you're related to me through marriage or blood. Raise your hand. Keep it up. If you're related to me personally, marriage, blood. Okay. Two in the back. Three right there. One, two. (laughs) This started as a family ministry. And I remember some of the first Bible studies. You remember, America, it was me, you, and Danny, and Carlita. And then me, and Carlita, and Miriam, and Hugo. It, was, it started as a family ministry. I want to see some families come out of here, serving God all together. Think about this. After John the Baptist, Jesus takes the ministry. He fulfills his role. He dies for sin. And then after Jesus goes back to heaven, his mother Mary hosted a church in her house. His brother Jude wrote a book of the Bible. His other brother, James, writes another book of the Bible. Ministry is supposed to be family ministry, which means you need to focus on your family sometimes. That's first ministry. Let me talk to the men. At home, your wife is your first ministry. She's first. And again, we live in an inversion where the church is first. Your wife and your kids are first. 
It's a family ministry. And out of that, you overflow and serve other people. I mean, I'm going to ask you to do something real quick. It's not in the notes, but go with me to Romans 16. And I shared this with a brother this week as we were getting some coffee there. Go with me to Romans 16. Let's see if you were paying attention in the next steps class. Who wrote the book of Romans? It's one of uh, the Pauline letters, so who would have written it? There it is, Paul. little hint for your pop quiz. What if all tests were like that, right? Pastor Manny giving you the answers. That'd be awesome. Romans 16. I'm just going to ask you to read it with me until we decide to stop because it's a very nice chapter. And God included this in the Bible for a reason. What does the subtitle say there in your Bible? Paul's commendation of Phoebe. Just read with me out loud. It says this. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church in? <laughs> Letting you figure that one out. So, verse 2. So you should welcome her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and assist her in whatever matter she may require for your help. For indeed she has been a benefactor of many and of me also. Three, all together. Give my greetings to Prisca and Achilla, my co-workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their own necks for my life, not only do I thank them, but all the Gentile churches. Let's go down to verse 6. Greet Mary, who has worked very hard for you. Go to verse 7. Greet Andronicus and Junia. Let's go down to verse 8. Greet Ampliatus, my dear friend in the Lord. 9. Greet Urbanus, our co- Okay, we can stop. If I need to drive this home any further, I, don't, I really don't think I do. Church and ministry is a family affair. We should be doing this all together as a family. And here Paul just gives a list. This is my friend. This is my sister. This is my mother. This is my other brother. My other sister. They're all helping me. Church should be relational. And let me read this quote to you. If you want to be biblical, you must be relational. I'll read it again. If you want to be biblical, you must be relational. No person is supposed to be an island alone. It's not you against the world. It's all of us together as a family of God. And that's what we see with the first disciples. Jesus told them, come and see. I'm going to make you my brothers. And here's the way you can do this type of ministry. You say, I don't, know how, I don't know how to evangelize. I don't know how to get all the words right. If they ask me questions, I have no idea how to answer them. Have you ever felt like that? Let me, let me say this. I get encouraged when some of you text me, sometimes very late at night, and I'm like, come on, I'm trying to sleep. You're like, Pastor Manny, how do I answer this? Pastor Manny, I'm talking to this person. How do I answer this question? I love that because what does that tell me? You're evangelizing. You're sharing the gospel. And I get those messages a lot. Keep sending them. If I don't answer at night, I'll answer in the morning. Don't worry. You shouldn't be up that late anyways. Jesus started with come and see. So here's a way you can do some come and see ministry. Number one, invite someone to a meal. You're saying, Pastor Manny, this doesn't sound theological. This doesn't sound religious. Let me tell you something. The first sin that was committed was a sin over a meal. Adam and Eve having a meal with Satan. The last thing we see in the Bible is God's people sharing a meal with Him. The Lord's Supper is a meal between Jesus and His disciples. You see, meals throughout the entire Bible are times of vulnerability, of fellowship, of spending time together, of hearing one another out. So you say, Pastor Manny, I want to reach people for Jesus. How can I start? Take someone out on a meal. 
And you say, I don't have money. Give us the receipt. And if it's ministry related, we'll help you cover that cost. Because we believe you should be reaching not just Christians, unbelievers. Invite them out to eat. Help answer their questions. Number two, how can you start this come and see ministry? Invite people into your home to spend some family time together. I'm going to take advantage that my suegros are here. And I'm going to speak in Spanish for a second. So who can translate lenguas? Go ahead. <laughs> yo estoy bien agradecido con ustedes porque yo no tuve esas celebraciones de familia. The Thanksgiving, Navidad. Yo sé que Danny tampoco. No sabíamos lo que era eso. Y mientras más nos juntábamos con ustedes, nos abrimos. Ahora sí queremos ir a comer, a verlos ustedes también, a comer. <laughs> What I'm saying is that I didn't grow up having family meals. We would eat in our rooms, all separate. And when I got married and when I was dating Carlita, I got together with my suegros, mother and father-in-law, and they would always invite us out to eat. They're at the house. I made tamales. I made pozole. I made steak. That one time, you remember? That one time. They never made it again. And I got to see what a family is. You want to reach someone with the gospel, invite them into your home. Let them see what your family looks like. Number three, how do you start this come and see ministry? Invite them to life groups. We just started life groups. We're debating and praying and thinking about changing it to Wednesday nights because that works a lot better for more people. But life groups is where we take the sermon and we go even deeper than what Pastor Manny got to talk about for an hour. We want to answer questions, pray for each other. Uh, raise your hand if you're currently a life group leader. Okay, keep your hand up. Two, three, four, five. We have five life group leaders today. And uh, isn't it true, just in this past two weeks, you got to talk to people that you usually don't talk to. Jose Angel leads the life group where my wife is a part of. And she really loves going to life group. Either he must be a good teacher or answering questions or just being at the right table with the right people. Invite someone to life group. That's a good way to get them open and vulnerable to hear the gospel. Number four, a way to do come and see ministry. Invite someone to Sunday service. Invite them here. Is this, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but doesn't this feel like one of the least threatening type of churches that you've probably been to? You don't feel like, here's the offering envelope. You got to fill it before you leave. You don't feel the, you're new, so I'm going to make you stand up here and we're all going to clap at you. We're very non-threatening in that way. <laughs> Invite them to Sunday service. You say, we don't have enough chairs. Give up your chair. Let them sit in your chair. That's the way to start this come and see. It's not what you saw Jesus do with them. He didn't say, I am the Messiah. I am God in human flesh. I'm here to die for your sins, and I'm here to rise to save all of you. He didn't start that way. He said, hey, uh, come to dinner with me. Let's get started that way. Come and see. Let's go to the next part there. Let's go to John 1, 40 through 42. And as we see the story of the first disciples, we saw John sending his disciples to Jesus. And now we see the fruits of that. John 1, 40 through 42. And it says, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard John and followed him. He first found his own brother, Simon, and told him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought Simon to Jesus. I want you to underline that in your Bible, in your notes, wherever. Andrew brought his brother Simon to the feet of Jesus. When Jesus saw him, he said, 
You are Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which is translated into Peter, which means rock. Andrew believes in Jesus as the Lamb of God. Immediately, he's like, I need to tell my brother. How many of you were those good siblings? You shared everything. You never had problems with, you know, this is not mine, this is ours. How many of you were the opposite? You were like, what's mine is mine, what's yours is also mine, right? And you were that brother. Amen? Andrew doesn't have that heart. He says, I have the Messiah before me. I'm going to take him to meet my brother. Let me ask those of you who are married. When you started dating the woman that now you're married to, isn't it true you wanted your family to meet her? Or were you hiding her? If you were hiding her, red flag, right? <laughs> but it's like, hey, I want you to meet this, the woman of, that I'm going to marry someday. Or the opposite. Ladies, were you embarrassed of the man that you now call your husband? Está feito, pero es bueno. Or were you ready to say, hey, look, this is, this is the man I'm proud of. I want to marry. A little illustration there, but Andrew said, I love Jesus Christ. He's the Savior. I want everybody to know who he is, including my brother. And we see the response there. Uh, Jesus goes up to Simon Peter. He says, you are Simon, son of John, and a different John. John was a very common name. But you will be called Cephas. He meets Simon, and he changes his name automatically. What is that a picture of? Of the transformation that God does in our lives. It's so severe, so amazing the way he changes us that some guys even got a new name. How many of you don't like your name? How many of you, you grew up, uh, why was I called this? Izet is a lovely name, come on, be honest. How many like the name Izet? Yeah, it's a good name, right? <laughs> All right. <laughs> what would happen with a lot of people in the first century, they would change their names completely. And Simon got a new name. Now he was called Peter. There's another disciple called uh, Levi, and then he changed his name to Matthew, or they called him Matthew after a while. But he changes his name. Now let's talk about this, a lasting impact. These were the first three disciples, John, Andrew, Simon, and then James as well, number four. But who could have imagined the impact these guys would have had on the world? Fishermen, nobodies. Here comes God in human flesh, and he says, you, you, and you, follow me. And they do. Let's talk about these guys. John, he wrote five books of the Bible. That enough is a huge resume. He was like a little brother to Jesus. How do we know that? Because when Jesus is being crucified, who's standing at the foot of the cross from all the disciples? Only John and Mary, his mother. And what does Jesus do? He says, John, Mary is going to be your mother from now on. Take care of my mom. And he goes to Mary. Mary, John is your son. He's like my brother. He's going to take care of you from now on. That's tremendous love for a person. Let me ask you gentlemen, would you entrust your mother to anybody? Your wife to anybody? Jesus entrusted Mary, his mother, to John. What did John do? He served Jesus faithfully until his death. How did John die? They tried to boil him alive, remember? He didn't die. They put him on a rock in the middle of the ocean on a prison island, and there, Jesus showed up in a vision to write the book of Revelation. He, eventually, he was let go. He got out of there. He went back to Ephesus and pastored a church until he died. A long death, a long uh, life until he died. 
What about Andrew? As we're going to read right now, Andrew was a pretty low-key kind of guy. Raise your hand if you're that kind of guy. You're low-key. You're not going to raise your hand because you're so low-key. That's the point. That was Andrew. He kept to himself. He was a quiet guy. How do we know that? Because we don't hear a lot about him in the Bible. We know Peter because he was kind of a big mouth. We love Peter for that. Andrew was low-key, but he was zealous for God. What did Andrew do as a disciple? He went and preached to the Greeks, to the Europeans. His influence went all the way to Scotland. If you know the flag of Scotland, it's a blue flag with a white cross, and they call that St. Andrew's Cross. Why is it called that? Because Andrew, at the end of his life, they arrested him for being a Christian, persecuted him for being an apostle, and they crucified him, not in a regular cross, but in an X-shaped cross. Left him up there for days until he died a martyr's death. He died for Jesus. And now, in Scotland at least, they honor him as St. Andrew. What about Peter? Peter was bold. He was a leader among the twelve. He was loud. He always got it wrong. How many of us, we identify with Peter? Like, I just keep getting it wrong, Lord. He keeps having grace on me. Peter became an evangelist to the Jews and the Gentiles. And ultimately, after denying Jesus, as we'll read at the end of John, he did not deny Jesus at the very end of his life. They said, we'll crucify you for being a Christian. You love your Jesus so much. He said, do it. Kill me. But I'm not worthy to die like my master. Crucify me upside down. And they did. You see, these guys, just all they heard was, follow me. They had no idea that's where their lives would be. For how many of you that's the case? When you said, Jesus, I belong to you now. You had no idea you would be here today. You'd be doing what you're doing. Married to the person that you're married to. Come and see has a big impact. And we have no idea until years later. Let me tell you the impact of these men. Because of these men, Logos Baptist Church is here today. Because these men follow Jesus, they preached the gospel, they were faithful, they passed on the gospel, they kept passing it on for 2,000 years. And about 30 years ago, in Guatemala, a young man named Carlos Navarro, he was 18 years old, doing all kinds of foolish stuff. And a young woman from the Assemblies of God churches went up to him on the street as he was probably doing some sort of drug deal or doing some sort of drugs. He always talks about drugs because that was his past. Carlos Navarro, this young lady, shares the gospel with him. He, out of anger, denies her in her face, but privately he says, I belong to Jesus now. I believe this gospel. He comes to America, becomes a Christian, plants churches. 30 years later, plants West, uh, is serving at West Brownsville and then sends us out to start a new church, Logos Baptist Church. That's the impact. You see, you have no idea as you click next on the slides or as you sing another song and mess it up a little bit, but vamos para adelante, let's keep going. You have no idea the impact your service will have. And that's the point. You don't get to see that. God gets to see that. And you'll get to see it at the end of time. This is the importance of doing what Andrew did, of bringing people to Jesus. Romans 10, 14 through 18, and we have it up here uh, in the slides for you. The importance of personal evangelism. Read this with me in a nice and loud voice. How can, sorry, <laughs> let's try that again. <laughs> how then can they call on him whom they have not believed in? And how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they are sent? 
As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? So faith comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes through the message about Christ. You individually are called to be preachers. You might not be in front of a church. You might not be behind a microphone or stage or pulpit. But every single person who belongs to Jesus is called to be a preacher. To go and tell the world the message about who? What do we say here? The message about Christ. Not a social justice message. Not a Black Lives Matter. Therefore, that's what the gospel means. We don't add anything to the gospel. We preach the gospel. How will they believe if you don't tell them? Who do you say you care for out in the world, but you still haven't told them this message, the message about Christ? How will they hear if you don't tell them? That's the importance of evangelism. Our job is to plant the seeds of the gospel in the world. God's job is to give the harvest. I'll repeat that. Our job is to plant the seeds of the gospel in the world. God's job is to give the harvest. So keep planting. You say, they're not coming to church. That's fine. Keep preaching to them where they are. They don't want to come to life group. That's fine. Preach to them where they are. They don't listen, but they're willing to come to my house for dinner. Invite them. They don't want to do a study guide thing, but if I give them a Bible, I know they'll read it with me. Read it with them. Andrew was zealous. He brought Jesus to his brother. We should do the same. John 1, 43. Let's start to wrap up. John 1, uh, 43 through 49. And this is now looking at the next disciples, Philip and Nathaniel. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. He found Philip and he told him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the hometown of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and so did the prophets, Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Look at the response of Nathanael. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? What was he saying? Jesus of Nazareth, it's like if we would say Jesus from Olmito. Can anything good come out of Olmito? What is there in Olmito? People, people that were born in Olmito were not even born in Olmito. They were born in the hospital in Brownsville because there's no hospital in Olmito. Can anything good come out of Olmito? I'm not picking on Olmito, but you know, I kind of am. He says, can the Messiah come out of this dumpy little town like Nazareth? Well, 46. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nathaniel asked him. What did, Jesus, what did Philip answer? What did Philip answer him? Come and see. I don't need to answer all your questions right now, Nathaniel. Just come and see for yourself. 47. Then Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him, and he said about him, Ah, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. What would you do if Jesus said that about you? Oh, here's Juan. I know he never tells a lie. Here's Nick. He's not a faker. Here's Miriam. When she says it, that's what it is. She doesn't hide the truth. Jesus says about Nathaniel, this guy just tells the truth. 48. How do you know me? Nathaniel asked. Before Philip called you, when you were under that fig tree, I saw you, Jesus answered. What happened here? Jesus hadn't even arrived to that town yet, but because he's God, he saw that Nathaniel was sitting under a specific type of tree. Nathaniel's like, how did you know that? How did you know where I was sitting? 
He says, I saw you, Jesus answered. And what's the response? 49. Rabbi, Nathaniel replied, read it with me. You are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. What an amazing exchange. Philip, this young guy, we don't, we're not told where he's from, but he's around Galilee. Jesus just tells him, follow him, and yeah, he does. Or Philip was from Bethsaida, sorry. And then we see Nathaniel. Another example of love for people. Andrew knows Jesus. Hey, bring him to Peter. Philip knows Jesus. Hey, let's bring him to Nathaniel. This guy really needs Jesus. Do you know people like that? They're like, yeah, y'all need the Lord. You have problems. Bring him to Jesus. We see Nathaniel. The name of Nathaniel means a gift of God. How many guys are going to change your name to Nathaniel? Like, I'm God's gift to you. Like, come on, man. Nathaniel was like some of you men. He didn't have all the nice words. He was just very blunt. Nathaniel told it like it was. If his wife asked him, do I look fat? What is Nathaniel saying? See, mija? <laughs> so when they tell him, there's this guy, Jesus, from some nowhere town who claims to be God, what does Nathaniel say? Yeah, right. That might have been your story. When they told you about God, you're like, yeah, right. Nathaniel eventually believes in Christ. Why? Because Jesus tell him, tells him, I saw you. Before I even arrived to town, I knew who you were. And let me read this to you. In Proverbs, it says that the eyes of the Lord are everywhere, observing the wicked and the good. God sees everything and everyone. He sees everything that you are doing. There's nothing that you can hide from God. Whether it's good or whether it's bad. We can't hide. People tend to do bad things in the day or in the night. What do you think? Night, because they think they can hide it. But God says, I see everything. There's no hiding from me. And Jesus here, he saw Nathaniel, and he told him, I know exactly who you are. Let's talk about that, Jesus. The humble, mighty king. Isaiah 53 is what some people call the fifth gospel. Another book that really tells about Jesus. And in Isaiah 53, read it with me, 1 and 2. This is what it says. Who has believed what we have heard? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He didn't have an impressive form or majesty that we should look at him. No appearance that we should desire him. Who's he talking about there? He's talking about Jesus. Now when he came to earth, it says there, he had no impressive form. He didn't look physically attractive. It says there, he didn't have any majesty that we should look at him. He wasn't glowing. He didn't have a halo around his head. His clothes weren't always the cleanest. What does it say about Jesus on earth? He had no appearance that we should desire him. Contrary to the movies that you see, even the chosen and all these films, you couldn't tell who Jesus was because he was just a regular looking guy from a dumpy, nowhere town like Nazareth. That is our king. A humble, mighty king. If you were God, and this is not a blasphemous statement, but if you were the one to be incarnated, you and I probably wouldn't arrive from Olmito. You and I probably wouldn't arrive from a dumpy little town. We would come in majesty. All my enemies, let me show you what you missed out on. And we kind of do that now with social media, the 10-year challenge. 
or who hurt you, the challenge, this is what I look like, and then this is what I look like now. We would do that. Jesus didn't do that. He was humble. He was mighty. He didn't need to prove anything to anyone. He was the adopted son of Joseph, and Nathaniel says it. Who's this guy, the son of Joseph? You know who Joseph was? What was his profession? Carpenter. What did he do? He worked with his hands. Any of you guys work with your hands? You do manual labor? Okay. I did that from age 18 to 21, working construction, building frames out of house, uh, for houses, siding and everything else, and roofing. Working construction, just going to work. That's what Jesus did for 30 years. There was nothing impressive, but this mighty king came and he said, follow me, I'm going to show you what you need to know. And let me tell you this as we close. It's not enough to respect Jesus as just a good savior. We must worship him as sovereign God. It's not enough to respect him as a good guy. We must worship him as sovereign God. That's exactly what Nathaniel did. He said, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. And why do I shout it? Well, first of all, because I don't have a mic. Number two, I want to make sure you're awake. And number three, because we should be shouting this. This is not something you keep to yourself. Oh, yeah, I know the God of the universe. My friends, we shout it from the rooftops. We tell everybody, this is the Savior. You need to believe in that Savior. Follow Him. That's the zeal we should have. The zeal of Andrew, the zeal of Philip. Tell everyone who Jesus is. And what did Jesus promise so we can close and be in prayer? John 1, 50 through 51. Jesus responded to Nathanael, Do you believe because I told you that I saw you under some tree? You will see greater things than this. Then he said, Truly I tell you, Nathanael, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And this promise extends not only to Nathanael, but to all believers. That we will see God returning to the earth. Angels serving him, his people worshiping him, his enemies cowering before him. And because we know the fear of the Lord, we should go tell people about this Lord while there's still time. These were the first disciples, and by God's grace, they will not be the last because you and I have a big task. Go make more disciples. Let's pray. Thank you for your word. We thank you for your servant John who wrote these words. And we thank you for the opportunity to be a part of this mission that you're sending your church out to do. I pray, God, that we can all do our part, even if it's starting with a meal, and even if it's just giving a Bible to someone who doesn't have one. Help us to be ministers out in the world, not just in these four walls of church. Please give us your eyes, Lord, so we can see those who are lost right now, and instead of hating them and judging them, pitying them and trying to have mercy on them as those who are lost without you. Lord, may we all have that same passion that Andrew and Philip had of bringing our loved ones to you. Lord, we ask for your blessing. We ask for your protection this week, for your encouragement that we would not get tired of living this Christian life and instead persevere until the last day. And we ask all of this in Jesus' good name. Amen.